So I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Colossians chapter 2. That's in your New Testament if you're, if you're newer to the Bible. And I love it that so many of you are newer to the Lord and we don't have to do all that unlearning. <laughs> you're my favorites. Um, Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's all right. I'm going to be reading it to you. But if you have one and want to get there, go ahead and start finding your way there. As I continue in this series from Colossians. While you're turning, I'd like to mention that we're going to be doing baptisms here at the church on uh, the evening of Palm Sunday. We're going to have just a cool service. Uh, you know, so often we have, when we do the baptisms as they come around, we might put half of them in the 9 and half of them in the 11 o'clock service. And I just felt inspired. What if we just did a whole special hoopla worship service uh, on an evening and just baptized people, right? Yeah, no preaching or none of the boring stuff, but I mean, let's just get her done, right? Let's bring the freight and worship and baptize some people, celebrate and have a party. So that's going to be coming up uh, April, I'm going to say the 13th. Check your bulletin, because I, is that right? Help me, Pat. And then there are a couple of, to, in order to be ready for that, I, uh, I teach the baptism classes, which are about 45 minutes, roughly, each one, and they're the, for the two Sunday nights before. Am I right, Pat? And what time are they, does it say? Six o'clock. So you're going to want to be at those things. So and what we do is we talk about baptism, what it is, and answer your questions. Like some people say, you know, I was baptized when I was like this long. Does that count? You know, and stuff like that. And so we answer all those questions, help you sort out good answers for yourself. And uh, the other thing is, in the second week, we kind of we go through a dry run. <laughs> Open up the baptistry, which is under the floorboards here, and kind of get you have a look at it and see what's going to happen and, and that sort of thing. So you need to be at those. But I would love to baptize you. I would, it would be a personal honor just to be able to be the one that got to hold you under. <laughs> okay? So be thinking about that. Be praying about that if you feel like you're ready to be baptized. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to continue in the series. We're going to start with verse 16. I'm going to read through 23. I'm over here today because I got a word from the Lord that I was supposed to preach from the cross today. So here I am, and it feels really weird and it's hard because I want to be over there. So, But I'm on kind of a bungee that when I get over here, the Holy Spirit starts dragging me back over there. So... So, Colossians chapter 2. I just I don't make up the rules, I just follow them, right? So, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 starts, Therefore, stop to see what it's... Thank you. All right, well, you have to go up there. What did we just discover last week? We discovered that Jesus conquered sin, death, and Satan on the cross. It's done. He said, it's finished. I did that for you. It's done. Therefore... As a result of knowing that, he says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what is seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head. From, the whole bo- from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, 
Why is though you still belong to it, do you still submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So Lord, we come to you at this time, and we come to you in your word. And it's your word. It's not our word. It's your word, and you want to speak it to us, I know. Because you care about every person that's in here. And you knew who was going to be here. And you knew what they were going to be going through. And you made this morning for the likes of us. And so I pray, God, that you will take the power of your word and what you meant by it when you first wrote it and what you mean by it by bringing it to our hearts today. I pray that you'll bring the point of the spear to that place in our hearts that really just needs your touch today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to kick off with a bit of a survey here. I need to know a few things. I have a, a few questions to ask you. Number one, if you were in a, suddenly in a world that you could only have for the rest of your life to eat either hamburgers or pizza, which would you choose? Raise your hand if it's hamburgers. And pizza? Okay, pizza wins that one. If you were in a world where you had to, discri- where you had to decide whether you were going to live in extremely cold conditions or extreme hot conditions, which would you choose? Raise raise your hand if it's cold. Welcome to Ohio. And hot? All right. Did I say there's no air conditioning, by the way? Okay. If you had to choose between either being a Buckeye or... Never being able to watch college football again. In other words, you could stay a Buckeye if you never got to watch college football again, or if you renounced your citizenship in the Buckeye Nation, you could watch all the football you wanted. How many of you would remain a Buckeye? You guys are messed up, man. Let's just try something here real quick. O-H. You guys are so messed up. You know, Lord, uh, Lord, I really try to have them be excited in worship and stuff and kind of really get into it, but I don't know why you can't compete with their love for the Buckeyes, Lord, but that'll be on them, I guess. Oh, one more question. If you had to choose between your freedom or your life, which would you choose? And many of you have demonstrated that by putting your lives in harm's way and serving in the military for us. And you've demonstrated that the freedom of this country is more important than your life. And if you had to pick between freedom or life, you pick freedom. I'd like to bring a message from this Colossians series called Live Free or Die. Those are our choices, according to the Bible. We either live free or we're, die- we're dead. We either live free in Jesus and the grace that He's extended to us through the cross... We celebrate the freedom of that, or we dial into the law, and we die. Those are our choices. Well, let's uh, kind of revisit where we've been in this so far in this book of Colossians. First, we discover that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus isn't sort of God. When you come to Jesus, you come to God. Jesus isn't just like a hose or a ramp to God. Jesus is God. The God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. Colossians taught us that in the beginning. We also saw that it's all about grace. It's all about grace. 
that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Please say alone. Alone. There is nothing that you can add to that to be saved. If you have released your faith into the power of Jesus Christ, who shed blood on the cross for you, then you are saved. God is extending his grace to you through the payment Jesus made for you. When you release your faith, you're saved. There is nothing that you can do to add to that. Is there a life to be lived? Of course. Of course there's a life to be lived. But no matter how well or poorly you live that life, it doesn't change your status. You're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. Don't let anybody add stuff to that. Don't let anybody do that. How many of you in this room have ever lost the battle to pay the check? You're out with some people at a restaurant, you know? And you know, you're out with some friends, and it's like, nah, I got that. No, nah, I got that. No, nah, I got that. Anybody ever been in that situation? And you're kind of secretly hoping they win? <laughs> okay. You're in that situation, and finally the other person wins. And you let them take the check, and you say, thank you. It still feels weird, doesn't it? Men? Brothers? Doesn't that feel weird? Doesn't that start to chip away at your pride a little bit? Shouldn't let them do that. I don't need anybody to buy my lunch. Right? Hello? Kind of gets you. I want to ask you this, people. When that's happened, have you ever, after you departed in the parking lot and seen him drive away, went back into the restaurant and said, you know that check he paid? I'd like to pay that too. I would also, I would like to go ahead and pick that check up too. Could I do that? Have, have you ever done that? Why not? Because it's already paid. Why would you try to add anything to already paid, right? It's paid. It's a condition. It's paid. You could go in and do that, but it's going to be no more paid than it already was, right? Jesus died on the cross for us. He said, it's finished. Is it finished or not? It's finished. He conquered sin and death, which brings us to the last thing we saw last week. There are two sides to the cross. There are two sides of the cross. There's the defense and there's the offense. There's that defensive side. This last passage in Colossians showed us where he forgave us, he released us from our sin, and he secured our salvation forever. Yes? That's the defense. He's always running defense for you. And then there's the offensive side where he says, let's go. And it says that he disarmed Satan. It says he made a spectacle of them and he triumphed over them. And that told us something last week, didn't it? that it's time to stop playing defense, stop reacting to the scenarios that seem to be happening to us, and let's start taking some ground, right? And you, that touched a nerve with a lot of you. And some of you are hoping I'm serious about that, right? Well, I am. And today, I want to talk to you about what this next passage says in context. It's live free or die. You either embrace the freedom that Jesus Christ is offering you, or you die in the law. You die. Live free or die. I've chosen to employ this graphic that apparently the great state of New Hampshire, that I know practically nothing about, they sit up there so quietly, don't they? Sort of like the cousin of Massachusetts or something. They're just kind of behind that. They're up there. Anybody from New Hampshire? Well, we had one in the 9 o'clock service. I don't know why people from New Hampshire don't come to Ohio. It's a beautiful state. I've been through it, right? Beautiful state. Lots of beautiful scenery. But I love their motto. Live free or die. Live free 
or die. That's something about their history. I don't really know the story behind the motto. But something about their history has caused them to say, here's who we New Hampshireans are. We either live free or die. We would rather, we would rather be dead and free <laughs> than alive and in bondage. And I love that. Live free or die. I think the, the license plate is only missing one thing. Because the source of all true freedom in our lives, all lasting freedom, is the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That Jesus Christ, He died to set us free. The source of all true freedom is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross means freedom, not bondage. And I don't know if you embrace this teaching that I've been bringing about ransom theology or not for the cross. It doesn't really matter. Whichever side of the cross you're dominant in, whether it's the defense or the offensive side, you've got to agree that the purpose of the cross is not to put you in bondage, but to set you free from bondage. Am I right? The whole gospel is filled with this freedom thing. Anybody get to the Bible John thing? Anybody get in John? Anybody? No? Four of you? Seriously? You should read your Bibles. John chapter 8. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, who's the truth? Jesus. What do you mean, know the truth? Have a head knowledge of, oh, that's true and that's false? No, Jesus already, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So you know Jesus, you know freedom. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In fact, he said four verses after that, that if the Son sets you free, you're free. You're free indeed, he says. Hey, no better kind of freedom than the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. That's what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 8 it says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Catch this. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. As Christians, we are meant to be the freest people on the earth. Free in every way. Not all bound up in our religion, our big little secret little Bible studies, our big thick Schofield Bibles we got underlined, and all of our systems. But we're meant to be free. Anybody read Acts? You see how free those people were? They were free in love with God, free in love with each other. Power of the Spirit moved. That's what I want for this place. I want freedom. I want the freedom. The cross means freedom. The cross of Jesus Christ means freedom. Because it celebrates a victory. Good Friday celebrates a victory. You know that, right? I wonder why we don't have Good Friday parties. I think we should. I mean, you have Buckeye parties when they win, right? Come on over, man. Bring your best food and we'll watch Buckeyes beat. Fill in the blank, right? (laughs) Wow. We'll watch the Buckeyes beat anybody and you have reason to expect that for the most part. Why don't we have good Friday parties? Why not celebrate the victory that Jesus triumphed over Satan? Hello? You know, this Good Friday, we're going to have a, as we often do, we have it, we're going to have an evening service. It's on a Friday. And uh, we're going to come together to some worship. Pastor Paul from the Franklinton Church is going to come and preach. His church is going to come too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, we'll have a really important time, I think, of honoring the Lord and His cross. And I think that this place should burst out in all kinds of homes and parties afterwards. I think I better hear about parties. I better get some invitations to some parties. And when I get there, it better be fun. You hear me? 
Because it's a victory. The cross of Jesus Christ means freedom. And some of you are new to the Lord, and you know, you're all excited about Jesus, and you're running into these sour-faced Christians here and there and say, oh, no, you can't be that happy. If you're that happy in your church, it's got to be a cult or something, because we we're not meant to be this happy. No. Why, why is it that Christians make being a Christian another form of bondage to another set of laws? When the Bible says we've been set free from the law. I'll tell you why. Because it's the institutional church's way of controlling people. That's all it is. It's a list of laws that make you feel guilty enough to keep you coming, keep you giving, keep you doing, keep you doing whatever. And I want to tell you what. It's a whole lot harder to be a church that consistently preaches grace and freedom than it is to be a church that preaches the law and bondage. It's a lot harder to be this kind of a church. And it's not good for business either. I tell you, you're all free, and you go, well, what do I need you for, right? <laughs> I know. It's not good for business. I don't know how many times we could fill up this place on a Sunday if we just started preaching law, telling you, you'd better get it right, you scum. We already know what's bad about us, right? I don't need to tell you, right? I want to tell you the solution. Jesus, the power of his Holy Spirit working in your life. But the, Paul's clear throughout the New Testament that there's a battle going on, and it's not a battle for your souls, because once you come to Christ, the devil has lost the battle for your soul. You're saved. You're secured, right? He's lost that battle. But you're of strategic interest to the enemy now for what you will do next, how you will live out your life as a Christian. Because free Christians, truly free believers, are dangerous to his agenda. Because people come to Christ when they hang around truly authentically free believers. People come to Christ. People who hang around the Christians that are all legalized and up in bondage, they just come to religion. They don't come to Christ. They just come to the bondage. Hello? You just live it. And so the devil has an interest in constantly trying to take away your freedom. And Paul says, you've got to fight for it. He says it throughout Colossians. He says it in Galatians over and over and over and over again. Well, in our passage in Colossians, I think he tells us three ways that he'd like for us to, that he recommends that we fight for our freedom. And one is do not let anybody judge you. This is something that will try to take away your freedom are the judgments of others. Let me read it for you. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. See, I told you right there. Do not let anybody judge you. I just try to bring what it says and put a little color on it. That's all. By what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. Now, that all sounds like a weird list, I know. But remember in the first message in this series where we set up the cultural context of Colossae, and remember that it was filled with this kind of religious extremism with all kinds of religions. And so these people would have been hearing this saying, don't let, now that you're free in Christ, don't let the people around you judge you by the things that they say you've got to do. Because it's done. And he said, don't let people judge you in that way. He said, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He says, do you want the shadow or do you want the light? I mean, the law, I suppose, has some impact on us in changing the way we live, but Christ has a major impact because he works from the inside out. Are you hearing this? 
Promise? Are you living it? Trying to. I got you. But he says, therefore, don't let anybody judge you. Because people will try to judge you, but you have to accept their judgment. You have to cooperate with it in order for it to stick. Just reject it. Just absolutely reject their judgment of you. I think a mark of a maturing Christian is that they're not defensive. It's a mark of a maturing Christian. They're not defensive. I think anytime I talk with somebody and they become defensive, it shows the insecurity of their position. We have five kids, four boys, one girl. Our daughter Betsy came number four, was surrounded by brothers. And uh, once in a while they'd pick on her. Now, now, in the pastor's house? Hmm. They'd pick on her as brothers will, although they'd fight to the last man to defend her, but they'll pick on her at home, right? And she had this way. She would, when they would say something to her, she would say, well, I'm sorry, you feel that way. <laughs> a little ponytail would fly around, you know, she just, I'm sorry, you feel that way. Bam. And boy, that used to just tick them off. Because <laughs> of that confidence. That confidence. When you're securing your position, you're not defensive. I've got a Pentecostal friend, and uh, I like him a lot. Normally, you Pentecostals creep me out, but... Uh, you just make me nervous all the time. And, uh, but I guess one Pentecostal friend who won't go, I won't say his name, his, uh, his initials are Dennis Drummond. And uh, he, I just love him to bits. And, oh, did I say that? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, and he's, he's just real strong. He's just real strong. I've had him pray for me before surgery, and I had no pain afterwards. So in spite of the fact you Pentecostals weird me out, <laughs> you work. So there's a few times I'll hang out with you, right? And uh, I just noticed that in spite of the fact that he and I have certain disagreements on the finer points of theology, he's never defensive. He's, because he's secure in his position. And that, I find that annoying. <laughs> what Paul's saying here is if you're secure... If you've taken up your position as a son or daughter of the living God, he says, don't let anybody judge you, okay? I've got to get back over here. All right. And then next, he says, don't be sucked in by the religious talkers. Verses 18 and 19. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen. Unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And again, remember the cultural context. In Colossae, there are all these people walking around, talking about their experiences with God with a great level of arrogance. And he's saying, don't get sucked into that. You know, all that glitters isn't gold. Just because a person talks about God doesn't mean they know anything about him or know him. You've got to look beyond that, don't you? What did Jesus say? He said, by their fruit you'll know them. He said, look beyond that. I'm not saying that people who talk about God don't know God. Many do. But if they do, they'll have a characteristic quality of the fruit of the Spirit. They will not be perfect. But you will see behind the curtain, if you will, you will see a, a, a well of depth that they do have a humble relationship with God. You know, over the 20 years that we've been a church, there have been many people who have come and gone, haven't there, Chester Marie? You know, that's all right. You're free to come and go. That's, the, that's why we're not a cult. We don't even chase you when you leave, you know. You just get mad at it. They didn't even call. I know. Can't have it both ways, right? And uh, anyway, there have been plenty of people who have come and gone. 
And sometimes people come, and they've got a great story about their walk with God, power they've seen. And then they kind of go over into this world where they go, I've come here to impart something to you. And I always get a little suspicious about that. Not that God couldn't send somebody to impart something to us, but I always want to see the fruit. I always want to see the fruit. And in 20 years, I've learned that here's how I know the real deal. I will see two things in a person. Number one, I'll see love. I will see love. Now, love isn't always easy. Sometimes love hurts, but it's love, and you know it. Okay? And the other thing I will see in a person is longevity. Longevity. You know, Chester and Marie, you can have anything you want here. If you ask me to preach a series, I would preach that series. I will do anything you want because you've been here 20 years. You prove I love you too. And that's why you're still here, right? Because <laughs> we love each other. And that's what I'm talking about. So he says, watch out for people who just talk the big game. Because they can, they can bring this judgment on you, can't they? You go, boy, I don't have any of that stuff going on. I really suck at this, right? Hello? And he says, watch that. Because they'll suck away your freedom. And then he, Paul says in this passage, he says, don't settle for law when you can have life. Yeah. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, don't do that. He says, these are all destined to perish. He says, why, why are you going back to the law when Jesus Christ died to satisfy the law so that you could have life? He says this over and over again in the Bible. And by the law here, he's talking about the basic, not only the Ten Commandments, but the 631 Levitical laws that sprang up over time from the Ten Commandments. It was a mess. Nobody could keep all that. And Jesus came and perfectly satisfied all of it on the cross for us so that when we come to him, accept his offer of grace through faith in Jesus, it's all satisfied. Because Jesus triumphed over them, right? We saw that last week. But it's our choice, Paul says. We can have law or we can have life. You can try to put yourself under the law and constantly deal with your failure, or you can say, Jesus, satisfy the law for me, and now give me life so that I can walk this new life. And Paul's saying you've got to pick. Turn a couple pages back in Galatians chapter 5. He makes it even clearer. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, which was part of entering into the uh, covenant of the law, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So he says it's either the law or it's Christ. And he goes on. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It's law or it's life. What do you want? It's law or it's life. What do you want? It's law or it's life. What do you want? It's harder to stay there because the lines are gray and they move a little as the spirit moves. It's messier. This is a messy place. But you get to pick. Law or life. I'd like to recommend you three additional strategies for remaining free found in other passages in the New Testament. Number one is to fight for your freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1 says it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for freedom. Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You've got to fight for this. Because the enemy's coming back. He's just trying to make you go back into the rules, make you go back into the law. He's always trying to take you back. Why? Because he lost the battle for your soul. Now he wants to fight the battle for your freedom. You're dangerous when you're free. 
You're powerful when you're free. He'll let you be religious all day long. But freedom is another thing. You have to fight for that. You have to diligently and intentionally fight to remain free. Some of you who were once free are noticing that now you're, you feel stuck, don't you? I, I, I believe this. I believe the Lord has shown me this about our church, is that there are many of you who once had freedom in life, and now you're just feeling kind of stuck. I've been praying a lot about that lately, about the Lord just breathing life. And I don't mean it as a judgment against anybody. I mean, my heart, as the sheepdog here, my heart just barks out to the Lord, you know, like, Lord, I just feel like people feel stuck. Lord, come. Unstick us. Come, Lord. And I pray for that. And uh, the Lord, I, I believe, has given me two words about being stuck that I think some of you feeling that will want to hear. And the first one is this, that notice that this happened gradually, not suddenly. That you weren't like all alive one day and the next day you were going, where did all that go? But it happened by increments, right? By little losses along the way. You didn't even notice it. And now suddenly, Tony came in my office the other day. We were talking about something. And he came in, he sat down in my, at my desk chair. Now, what in the world makes him think he could ever sit in that chair? I don't know, but he sat down in my chair. And the first thing he said was, dude, he said, there's no padding left in this chair. I said, what are you talking about? He said, man, this chair is hard. I said, there's nothing wrong with that chair. I've been sitting in it for 20 years. And then when he left, you know, I kind of sat in that chair and noticed that the arms all torn up, you know, and stuff, and it is kind of, it's kind of stiff and kind of hard, and I didn't know that until he pointed that out, because why? Because it started out as a good chair, right? But every time I put this 210-pound butt in it, it pushes down on it a little bit at a time, right? A little bit, a little bit, a little, there have been seasons in my life for those last 20 years where the chair would say, one at a time, please, you know, and just a little bit. I didn't notice it until Tony pointed it out. I went in his office and sat in his chair. Hey, that's a pretty good chair. I think we're going to be fixing to switch chairs this week, maybe. It's a pretty good chair. You hear me? It happens gradually, doesn't it? You know, the book of Proverbs says this. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. And poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. It's just little bits at a time. Little compromises at a time, right? Take away our joy. Take away our freedom. That's how the enemy works. Second thing I feel like the Lord spoke to me about this, getting unstuck, was I heard him say, do the things you did at first. Remember when you were first a believer? Man, you couldn't get enough of this, and you were worshiping, and you were praying, and you were hanging out with other believers, and you were telling people about Jesus. You didn't even know all the answers, but you didn't care. You were just out there, right? Revelation chapter 2 says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. In other words, you already know what to do. You already know what to do. Just do it again. Just go back to that. Revive that. But you've got to fight for your freedom. It's not going to come unless you fight for it. He says also, be filled with and live by the Holy Spirit. Be filled with and live by the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be free? Well, if the law won't do it, the Bible says the Spirit will. Galatians chapter 5. So I say, live by the Spirit, 
and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. Here it says, verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. So if you're led by the spirit, you're what? You're free. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's really no choice in this matter, you know. To be a Christian, you need to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Put your own terminology on it, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever. That's what me and you Pentecostals part company. It's just the terminology we put on it. But we both want the same thing. We want you all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's a command. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been drunk on wine? I said, don't raise your hand, Harry. <laughs> Jeez. I know, me too. And it's cool. Hello? It's a blast. Things are funny that aren't normally funny, right? Until you start puking later. That's too much. That's not funny. You're praying to Ralph the porcelain god. Ralph, right? I mean... Where did that come from? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, he says, the Bible says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And that means, you know all the stuff you start thinking about doing when you're drunk that you wouldn't have thought about when you're sober? That's what debauchery is, okay? Fill in the blanks. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So there's something about the being filled with the Spirit that will be euphoric. He compares it to being drunk. <laughs> and it's free. He says be filled with the, it's a command. It's also a New Testament example. Anybody read the book of Acts? Man, these guys are getting filled and refilled and refilled and more. Bring the Holy Spirit. And it, they were a free, living, loving bunch of people. It's also a New Testament principle. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says now, the, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you want to be free, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, individually and as a church. We must not resist the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then last, I want to tell you, you want to fight for your freedom, you need to claim your position. You need to lay claim to what the Bible says about you, that you're a son of the living God through the only begotten son, Jesus. You and I are adopted. We're brothers because we're adopted into the family. We're not ugly stepchildren. There's a front door open for us by Jesus who said, come in and take a place at my table. We need to take that place. The Bible says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Have you taken that place? Have you laid claim to your position? John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Have you taken up your right? Have you laid claim to your position as a son or a daughter of the living God? You know, to maintain your position on a team, you've got to defend it. You've got to own it, don't you? If you earn that spot on the team, whatever that spot is, there's somebody else that wants it, right? And you've got to own it. That's my spot, and nobody's taking it from me. Well, if you've taken up your place in the kingdom of Christ, somebody wants your spot. It's the enemy. You are not in competition with each other. There's room for everybody. But the enemy wants your spot, and you've got to own it. You've got to say, that's my spot. 
Maybe you finally made it in band to the first chair, second chair, third chair, whatever your goal was. There's somebody else that wants your chair, right? And you've got to own it. You've got to say, no, that's me. That's my spot. And if you want to go on offense for Christ, you've got to claim your spot. You can't play your position if you don't know your position. Do you, do you remember my story from last week about my football and how why I couldn't play on offense because I didn't understand all the squiggles and the this and the that? So they put me on defense. I, I could not own an offensive position in football. I didn't understand it, so I couldn't say, that's my spot. I couldn't do it. I didn't have the heritage. I didn't have it sewn into me. So I couldn't do it. Look, the Bible says, if your faith is in Christ, by the only begotten Son, you are now an adopted child of God. There's a place at the table of the Lord that has your name on it, written with the blood of Jesus. Have you taken up your place? Are you just kind of thinking, yeah, that's for heaven. The Bible says it's for now. It'll be cooler in heaven, no doubt. But it's for now. And things begin to change for you when you begin living intentionally and decisively as a son or daughter of the living God. Does that make sense? You need to claim your position. He gave the right to become the children. Children are free, right? He didn't say he gave the right to become the grown-ups of God. He didn't say he gave the right to become the sour-faced Christians of God. He said he gave the right to become the children of God. When you put children together in a room, there should be noise, there should be mayhem, yes? And why are we so settled? Children of God. Children of God. There's power that comes from that freedom. You ready to take up your spot? You ready to claim your position? Don't tell me yes just to get me to stop. Then come on up. You stir them stirring inside you. It says, yeah, I want to I announce. I want to say. I want my space. I want, come on up. Just come on up. I don't know what's going to happen. I never know what's going to happen next when I do this. That's just God's church. I don't have a plan. I'm not going to take up an offering or anything, so don't worry about that. Just come on up. Just come up. And, you, and, you, and come and you're just saying, I want, to, I want to lay claim to my place as a son or daughter of the living God. I want to renew my place. I don't know what you're saying. I want to feel like what it feels like when I come up. I don't know what you're saying. But just if you got a stirring that says, I'm tired of the offense, or I'm tired of the defense, I'm tired of reacting to everything that seems to be happening to me, and I want to take up my position as an offensive player in the kingdom of God, then you've got to come and get your position. You've got to come and get your position. You've got to come and own it. And in owning it, you're saying, I'll defend it, right? I'll defend it. I'll fight for it. Let's sing some, some music here. See what happens. Come on. You're just saying, I'm here. You know, you're not just saying that to the Lord. You are saying that to the Lord. But in doing so, you're putting the whole kingdom of darkness on notice that you are a blood-spattered son or daughter of the living God. You've got little blood marks of Jesus on you, if you will. You can handle that analogy okay and you want it so you're tired of being pushed around let's go holy spirit come i pray for those who have come and i pray that you will cause every person in this room to take up our positions as sons and daughters of the living god come go deeper come